This is The Rest is PR with Lyle Fulton and Jackie Balls. Hello, everyone, and welcome once again to The Rest is PR. My name, as it will always be, barring any incident at all, is Lyle Fulton, and I'm joined, as I'm sure I always will be, by the absolutely wonderful Jackie Balls. Now, Jackie, I'm going to come clean right at the beginning of this episode. Listeners, you find Jackie and myself recording this episode of The Rest is PR at the slightly later hour of just gone quarter past five in the evening on a Thursday. Now we do, as you listeners will be aware and viewers will be aware on our YouTube channel, record quite often on a Thursday. And we were in fact recording earlier today an episode, the first official episode of our new spin-off podcast, The Rest is Alcohol with the brilliant Bryony Purdue. And you will be able to listen to that very, very soon. And we're very excited for you to do so. We finished recording with Bryony and the magic of podcast recording then meant that I was planning, we were planning, Jackie was definitely planning to record the rest as PR immediately after we met with Bryony. And I messed up my scheduling. And Jackie, (laughs) being the incredibly busy and professional person she is, quite rightly then went, well, if we're going to go two till 3.30... Then I'm going to book in another call at three thirty because I've got stuff to do, and I you then went. It. This is this is what nobody. Ever <laughs> about. Here we go. This is it. Here we go. Put things into my calendar. I have no control. So if you don't take that time, you got you got to take it. You got. To... I didn't take my opportunity. I, I held my hands up. I held my hands up in the moment as well. We got to quarter past three, and I went right. Great. Yeah, let's do the rest of PR podcast. As did I, as you might remember, and then. I just had this pop-up that just went bing bing you've got this call at 3 30 and I was like ah somebody's booked a call in <laughs> in the interest of respecting my colleagues I had to applaud whoever it was who booked that call in instead of me right because they were super sharp when mm-hmm. I wasn't and that'll teach me uh, to be a bit more on it with my organization but Jackie post those meetings that you had around 3 30 this afternoon how are you this fine Thursday evening as we are now and how are you this fine Thursday how's your week been uh, busy. I, I love, honestly, I do love January and loathe January all in the same kind of way. I love it because it is so busy and it is a month of hope and optimism and everything's happening and all our plans, all the strategy that we've been putting together for 2024 is coming to roost and um, we've got events coming. I mean, literally this and next month, I've got Barcelona, Egypt, San Francisco, just on the, you know, the, the schedule in the next couple of months. Wow. And then I haven't even looked at my travel schedule. So we're going to have to be doing some rest is PR from our nice off on location. <laughs> I mean, and this is again, like we're just going to be retreading old ground, aren't we? Because then it will just sort of be green with envy. You know, Mr. Green with envy over here as you're away in Barcelona and Egypt and in San Francisco. And I'll be here. In a hotel conference room (laughs) and then I'll be back on a plane and you know what I used to hate people that like me (laughs) that used to say that there was oh my god I've got to go here and I've got to go there I was like "Uh." I I I do actually enjoy sitting on a plane I have to Mm. say I really do enjoy sitting on a plane it's a great opportunity to read to listen to stuff you know so I've got no complaints about going places and I've got no complaints about being at places I learn a lot and everything else but it is work Yes, uh, uh, and it's not play. And particularly, my husband thinks I'm just off 
dallying around <laughs> the place, you know, gallivanting and um, <laughs> spreading joy. Um, but it is... Uh... <laughs> and <clears throat> spreading joy. Uh, just thought I'd get that in there at the end. Yeah, my husband obviously thinks I'm off gallivanting and <clears throat> spreading joy. I mean, in fairness, like just going back to it, I mean, I think when you're a kid, traveling is really, really exciting, right? Like when you're kind of, you know, in that kind of period of your life where you're like kind of maybe five to about let's say the same moment 15 it's very exciting don't wrong but it's but it as you do get older and i found this as well when we go on holidays and things as well the traveling side of things don't get wrong i still like i love going to airports whenever we're going on holiday whenever my wife and i go on holiday or if i'm going away with friends and things i love going to an airport i love traveling i do love that but there is that kind of tinge of it being a little bit tiring as well don't get me wrong it's lovely being on a, a a plane but actually the before and after the plane Whereas when you're a kid and obviously your parents are dealing with all those things that you don't have to worry about and you just think it's all really big and exciting. Now it just becomes quite tiring. You have to stay very focused, concentrate. It's to be a kid again. I know. Oh, if only we appreciated all those things that were done for us that we never even had to think about. I know. For it all. Sometimes it just <laughs> can pay to be. I mean, my wife, I was doing a, a self-tape audition earlier for something and my wife said, play it now, but instead pretend that you were 10. And I was like, well, this is a great opportunity because actually sometimes I do wish I was 10 again. Do you know what I mean? It would be absolutely brilliant. <laughs> Speaking of wishing you could go back in time. Oh, what a lovely segue. Oh, I mean, starting off 2024 with an absolute <laughs> doozy of a segue. Speaking of wishing you could go back in time this week, listeners. I mean, it was an absolute no brainer for Jackie and I. We were texting about it early this week. We also, I was in a Demozo meeting. We were chatting about it. We're talking with the Demozo team about sort of potential subjects for this episode of the podcast this week and it was an absolute no-brainer if you haven't seen it go away and watch it if you have seen it then we'd love to know your thoughts mr bates versus the post office the brilliant toby jones playing alan bates who there are now rumors that he may well be in line for a knighthood particularly as paula venels who was responsible for this scandal has handed her cbe back but i'm getting ahead of myself on a checking and okay. listeners let's go back in time again as these guys wish they could do this week, listeners, we will be talking about, from a PR angle, don't get me wrong, but we will be talking about the Horizon IT scandal, the post office scandal that saw, let's call a spade a spade, in the region of a thousand post office workers convicted for false accounting because of shortfalls that ultimately, in their majority, and we have to say that for the time being, because there's been all sorts of rhetoric about the fact that maybe there was even a small percentage of these cases that where there was actually potentially some wrongdoing, but in the vast majority, the vast, vast majority of cases, well over 95%, I'm sure, these shortfalls were as a result of So let's software. tell the story very quickly because yeah, we have wonderful listeners in Turkey and places like that, mm. and they would have seen it all over our news. So here's the scandal and here's the crisis. So you have Fujitsu, who are a big IT company, which most people would have heard of. And they created a an account system for our post office. Now, our post office is responsible for the letters and parcels that get delivered all across our land. But they're also responsible for taking money in and paying money out. They, they acted a bit like a bank. So the post office had branches, a bit like the banks, all across. But they're little in little shops or bakeries or in news agents, um, had hundreds of thousands of these little concessions, these shops, the post office, local post offices, and the people that run them were called submasters. 
or post office masters. Post submasters, yeah. Post submasters, post submistresses. Yeah. That's the name. So if we use that terminology, the submaster, mm. that is the job that these people had to run the post offices. Now they were all running these post offices really well until Fujitsu came up with this new accounting software system. They all had servers put into their different little post offices. They were taught how to input their do their cash balances every day, input their takings, input their outgoings, all the stuff that you would do on a normal account system, and things started going wrong. Mm. And this happened like 30 years ago. This has been going for but 25 years. Mm. It all started happening about 25 years ago. A net result of that was that the accounts in all these different post offices didn't balance. And then it started showing that all of these sub postmasters, all these individuals who ran the post offices owed money to the post office yeah. because their accounts didn't balance. Some of them, it was ridiculous sums up to 50, 60,000 pounds, some 26, some five, some two. But basically what the system did was it made the post office think that they were stealing from them. Yeah, false accounting. And actually false it's accounting. an important detail is, is that written into these sub postmasters, and I, I think I said post submasters and post submasters, so I'm going to correct myself, fact check myself. It is in fact, as you <laughs> as you rightly pointed out, sub postmasters and sub postmistresses, that makes more sense. But it's in fact written into these people's contracts that any shortfall they would then be liable for. They, yes. were, they were then liable for covering any shortfall in the post office they were running. So yeah, sorry, continue, but that's that's an important detail. Cutting a lot of stuff out, a lot of these people were pursued, harassed, harangued by literally men in black coats coming into their houses, inspecting, going up even into the into the lofts of their houses and their homes, trying to find where they put this money, that this notional money that they'd stolen. And a lot of them uh, got told that they would be put in prison unless they could pay the money back or unless they uh, could prove that they hadn't stolen the money. The, a lot of them put the money back and then were sacked. The yeah. ones that couldn't prove it were prosecuted and put into prison. And they couldn't prove it because as soon as the post office discovered this, the discrepancy, they locked them out of the system anyway. So they didn't have anything to prove their innocence with. And they weren't given any way of proving their said innocence. So they were all given prison sentences. Some people killed themselves. The stress of it, the lack of loss of reputation, the mm. accusation of theft, being a criminal... Some people went bankrupt and were yeah. never able to work with children again. I mean, it was just horrific. At least 700 individual people were dreadfully affected. And this has gone on for years. Now, you would think that an organisation that relies on its people, the sub-postmasters, mm. has those people as their face-to-face -face contacts with their public... Mm would listen when all of those people are saying to them, this system doesn't work. Yeah. This system is faulty. I haven't taken this money. And they had these they had these helplines, these people were phoning all the time. You know, there is a lot of evidence of thousands and thousands of calls, thousands and thousands of asking for help over the years, nothing happened. No. And every time one of them was prosecuted or every time one of them asked for help, they were told that they were the only person 
that had a problem. And we have to remember in these times, we didn't have websites, we didn't have the internet, we didn't have the email, we didn't have all those things that you can sort of put a social media post out and say, is anybody else affected by this? So all these poor individuals thought that they were the only ones and all of them had been trying very hard to balance their books and had sometimes put their hands in their pockets to put in two pounds into their cash drawer just to balance the books. But technically, just them doing that act of just balancing the book from their own pocket made them falsely account. Exactly. So that actually make them guilty. It made them culpable without them realising it. Without realising, all they were trying to do is pay back out of their own money, balance the books so that they wouldn't be prosecuted, so that they could operate their their post offices. I'm sure that's a really bad way of summarising it all. No, it's a brilliant way of summarising it. And actually, what's an extra little added layer as well, which I was reading earlier, and again, like, don't hold me to this, fact check this, listeners, as we always say, sort of be, you know, scrutinise your information and what have you, including from myself and Jackie. But them making up the shortfall themselves leading to that false accounting conviction that false accounting accusation and ultimate conviction made it ultimately that much more difficult to then quash further down the line it was slightly easier to quash an accusation of not being able to use the software properly and there being a shortfall and what have you but the pressure they felt under from the post office as an organization from ministers associated with this problem, this issue to repay and balance the books and make the money back up led to them panicking. And I watched people on the BBC the other day, they had a bit of a special on their breakfast program where people went up and they sort of, it was quite powerful, actually quite striking, spoke directly to camera about their own stories. And one person in particular said, I raided my own savings. I raided my parents' savings and I sold my car, paid back 58,000 pounds or thereabouts. I can't remember the exact figure, but it was, north of 50,000 only to then be met within days of me paying that money back having run around to try and figure this thing out with a false accounting conviction and you're so right it's gone down and it's being widely recognized and we have our theories about more of these more examples of these situations to come and we've obviously spoken to Caroline about the infected blood scandal and things like that but it is going down right now in my opinion quite rightly at the moment given that it's so in the public eye as arguably the biggest miscarriage of justice in British history because of yeah. the sheer volume of people it's affected, the amount of money that changed hands, which was unlawfully changing hands, years of turmoil, people talking about, you know, I've carried the shame for two decades, I won't carry the shame anymore. It's just been dealt with very, very poorly. Interestingly, this isn't something that the post office weren't aware of. And for me, that's the most marked thing. To think that the post office would see these four or 500 convictions and not think there is something going wrong here. What they've been doing, and, and in fact, there was an investigative reporter, I think 14 years ago, contacted from Computer Weekly and published something in Computer Weekly. And then it became known by MPs and, and tabled in the House and then inquiries started. So this is a long process of people actually having uncovered this problem in the last 14 years, I think, is a, is a good summation of time when it's been known about. Absolutely. And yet, and yet I heard a, a number of the people saying they've had all these interest groups led by this wonderful man, Alan Bates, yeah. a victims group lobbying parliament, lobbying the post office, using all everything they could do to get in the media with this story. But nobody took 
any notice of it. Nobody really listened. Nobody could really imagine or understand the the real huge miscarriage of justice it was until... Mr Bates versus the Post Office, which was aired on ITV this year. I was about to say earlier this year, but it is the 11th of January. So we are already earlier this year. Alan Bates, the remarkable Alan Bates, the inspirational Alan Bates himself, a sub-postmaster who was affected by this scandal and has since led the campaign for justice against this issue and against this scandal, against this miscarriage of justice, was played by the brilliant Toby Jones, uh, Paula Venels, who I think I mentioned to you before we went live, happens to live around the corner from my parents in Bedford and was a governor for my rival school. I went to a school. Now, Paula Venels my... was the chief executive of the post of office. The post office. One of them. There are a few yes. before me as well. Correct. Uh, one that was dealing with the who was aware of and dealing yeah. with this dispute played by the absolutely brilliant leah williams who's a fantastic theatrical actress seen her in a lot of things she's absolutely remarkable she did a brilliant job as well monica dolan was in it fantastic fantastic tv series toby jones does an absolutely dazzling job he's incredible he does more than just a dazzling job though and has done more than just a dazzling job has toby jones because the cast of that program the producers of that program the writers of that program have done something truly remarkable. And it's something I think with probably, and I was about to actually, I just stopped myself short of saying sadly, because in my opinion, it is sadly, because when we spoke about this, when we discussed whether or not this was going to be the subject for this episode, it taking this being produced, this television program being produced and seen by the masses to raise awareness to the point that the government are now thinking oh of God. passing special it's legislation to correct this. Out. Everybody in the country is up in arms. Mm. I mean, literally the drama was so well written. Oh, yeah. It was so beautifully written that you you got invested in the characters. Mm. You identified with the characters. Absolutely. And to, to, and to see all this unfold in front of you, you became one of them. And then that punch in the gut that you got every time something went wrong for them... By the end of watching this drama, I'd swear the whole country was talking about it. Yep. Nobody could understand why it took a drama mm. of the scandal to actually bring it into the House of Commons, into Parliament, to be discussed, to sort it out. Yeah. So we could understand why, in the space of two weeks since that drama has aired, they've now moved the campaign on so significantly that they're overturning, they're, they're passing legislation to overturn the convictions of the people who are wrongly convicted. It's insane. It's mad. It's absolutely madness. I think least of all, by the way, Alan Bates, least of all Alan Bates, you know, in terms of, you know, no one can really understand why this TV program has brought it to public attention so much. Like no one, least of all Alan Bates, because Alan Bates has been campaigning this for two decades yeah. and, you know, wanted the masses to be aware. And obviously, you know, the power of TV, the power of that particular medium, not media, but that particular medium. From is so important, Lyle, isn't exactly. it? Exactly. Yeah. Well, it's quite, we've, known it? this. we've known this a long time. I'm a drama student mm. who are a dramatic actor. Mm. You know, and a lot of people just see drama as being just a bit of fun, just something that, you know, is is for entertainment. But wow, haven't we seen the impact of storytelling and bringing real problems to the fore yeah. through drama? 
And if it wasn't for that drama, none of this would be being solved right now. Absolutely. How is that? It's brilliant. And I think I saw some, I saw an interview with Will Meller, who's part of the cast. And I know Will Meller, as I'm sure lots of our listeners and viewers on YouTube will know Will Meller from Two Pints of Lager and a Packet of Crisps with Sheridan Smith from years and years ago. But Will Meller has had a fantastic career since then. Of course he has. And he's in Mr. Bates versus the post office. And he was asked, oh, you know, did you think, I think this was last week, is it, did you, when you were making it with the cast, did you really realise, really and truly realise the impact that this was going to have? And he gave a fantastic answer, which was essentially along the lines of, whenever you go into a project like this, which is about a real world situation and a real life event, you obviously, you handle that pressure. There's a bit of a real time, real world pressure of like making sure you're authentic to the drama of the real life case. But he, he said, he was just very transparent. I think he said, look, you don't really realize in the moment when you're filming it and you're obviously focusing on your job and making sure you're as accurate as possible. You don't think about the future impact. You just concentrate on doing a good job and being true to the story but he's been really taken and really inspired by the impact it has had because I think as a cast if you get involved in anything like that and from an actor's perspective I know this is the case be it you know a stage show or you know something on screen be it a tv show a film you really hope it will have an impact that goes beyond just the entertainment value you hope it will inspire yeah. and, and motivate people and this clearly I mean this is one of the clearest examples of that being the case that I've seen in in recent history is is really yeah. quite extraordinary and and where we stand now listeners and viewers before we go into the kind of PR ramifications we're going to talk about the silo impact and all this sort of thing is that Paula Venels there was a petition I think it reached well over a million signatures very recently she announced yesterday earlier this week in fact reminding listeners you don't want to date the podcast but it's the 11th of January as we record so 10th of January was was yesterday she announced I think it might even have been 9th, 9th or 10th of January she announced that she was handing her CBE back after a petition for her to hand so it back CBE is uh it's an honor bestowed upon people for their good public service and excellent um service to their community or yes. to charity or to you know the the uh, public just basically for the public good yeah. and uh, that's a, a a really big honor in in english society correct. Um, and you have lots of different your granddad had an obe for his work correct uh, yeah he did yeah well. and you get you get obe which i believe is order of the british yeah. empire and mbe member of the british empire and then cbe i think is commander or commander of the british empire yeah commander yeah, of the british empire. And that's a really that's a really top honor mm. to get and this was awarded to Paula Venels, the CEO of the post office, who not only got uh, applauded for her services to the post office, but also got a four and a half million pound bonus for all of her work as well. So, And she's handing back the CBE people. and she's not handing back the four and a half million pound bonus. That's what's interesting, isn't it, listeners? Michelle it Moan, are you listening? Are you listening, Michelle? Yeah, it's 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 classic. you know, And she didn't hand it back as quickly as she should either. Correct. You know, she hung on to she clung on to that CBE until she could see that there was no way back. But yeah, it's it's really it's really interesting to see that she had these millions of bon pounds of bonus payments while people's lives were devastated over sums that she could have paid out of her back pocket like a tip, you know, with those sort of the sort of money that she was earning. And yet these people were incarcerated, their lives were torn apart, their families were broken. They some of them took their own lives. And in full knowledge of all of this, she accepted a CBE and she accepted her bonus. Interestingly, Alan Bates, who led the campaign for justice 
for the victims was offered an OBE and refused to take it because he couldn't, he, he saw it as hypocrisy to take an award that was so lightly given to, to people who could be so horrible as this woman was with her. And, and it's interesting, actually, I use the word horrible. He would never use that word. No. The victims don't use that word. The victims right. are all incredibly dignified, calm, yeah. nice people. And that guy, I think his name was Chris, that Will Miller depicted, he said, one of the victims said, I hope she's okay, but mm. it really doesn't help our cause. Yeah. No, and absolutely. it was just like, it was just a gesture. Mm. And it really doesn't, it really doesn't help us. You know, we need to be compensated for the money that we paid out to try and avoid all these convictions we need to be compensated for our lives being ruined and compensated i mean thank goodness for alan bates thank goodness for lord arbuthnot who who was um the mp of the time that that took the case to the the commons and fought fought the cause and thank goodness to some of the legal firms that took it on as a, like a no win no fee case yeah absolutely so that they could sue the post office but all of that all of that going on for years still did not reach the public consciousness, still did not get to us until that drama. And I think it's really highly significant. It's a drama. Yeah. Everybody sit up and take take note. Yeah. So my interest in this is, you know, when I'm lying in bed at night and I'm thinking about all the different communications scrapes these people get into, my interest in, and you know, that I'm always going on about mission, vision, values, and how you communicate that internally and how you communicate that externally about your product or service. And it was interesting. One of the things that the whistleblowers inside the post office during this said that all they were all they were concerned about within the post office was protecting the brand. Yeah. Was protecting the brand of the post office but I don't think any of them asked them what that brand meant. What were they protecting? You know, because they're protecting something that to all of those sub postmasters meant torture, meant subjugation, meant helplessness, meant poverty and, and on and on. That's what the brand of the post office means to those people. But what did the brand of the post office mean to them? Because if it meant transparency, honesty, fair value, good working practices, diversity, all of those great qualities that you expect of a brand like the post office, where were they? Mm. What, what what was the brand of the post office all about? Because there was no consistency, was there? There was no consistency at all. And yeah. what's interesting is, is that from a post office perspective, I think you're absolutely spot on. I mean, for example, you say what was the brand of the post office? What was it supposed to be? Did they settle on anything? Did they have a clear idea of what their strategy, their mission, their brand was? Did the employees even know what it was supposed to be? I mean, one of these stories, again, on this BBC breakfast special they did when a man looked direct down to the camera, he said he can't even go into a post office anymore because it just gives him this sense of dread and shame, like the feelings of the pressure and the tension, the anxiety he was feeling when he ran a post office and saw this short film just arrive at his door and knew that he was liable to cover this shortfall. He just can't go back there. He can't go back there. This is an institution. This is an institution that's been present in the United Kingdom for generations. And I think you're absolutely spot on in what you say. Centuries. 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 You know, really extraordinary institution. What's really, for my money, no pun intended, even more extraordinary, is that the post office is a brand. And we've had conversations about this 
to do with different organizations, different institutions in previous episodes of the podcast, the post office, I think it was when we spoke about the BBC, when we spoke about the you know scandals within the BBC and the Hugh Edwards yeah. situation, much like the BBC, the post office has government involvement, right? There is a minister for postal affairs. The government owns the post office. Government owns the post office. There is a minister for postal affairs. Intriguingly, the minister for postal affairs in 2010, 2010 is going to, be significant in just a moment, listeners, when I explain. The Minister for Postal Affairs in 2010 was a man by the name of Ed Davey. Now, Ed Davey, you may well know, listeners, but for our listeners who are further afield than our shores, Ed Davey is the current leader of the Liberal Democrats. Now, Liberal Democrats are, we exist here in the United Kingdom in a three-party political system by and large. It's starting to broaden its horizons a little bit with the advent of the Green Party and other parties like that. But by and large, we exist with two parties in opposition, the Conservative Party, who currently make up our government, the Labour Party, who are the main party of opposition, and then there's the Liberal Democrats who get involved in fits and starts. <laughs> That's never been written in any political theory books. That's a really bad phraseology, but just go with me on it. Ed Davey is a Liberal Democrat leader. In 2010, the United Kingdom existed within a coalition government, were being ruled by a coalition, were being run by a coalition government of the Conservatives and the Liberal Democrats, which meant that there was an amalgamation of MPs from the Conservative Party and the Liberal Democrat Party that formed our government. And Ed Davey, the now leader of the Liberal Democrats, was the Minister for Postal Affairs. Ed Davey was asked by Alan Bates in March of 2010 if he would agree to a meeting, a summit, if you will, to discuss this campaign. Ed Davey is the Minister for Postal Affairs. The government owns the post office. Paula Venels is one of the CEO, is the CEO, is one of the people behind the post office at this time. Ed Davey is the government link between the post office and the sitting government and ed davy refused to meet with alan bates he then seeing the error of his ways met him some six seven months later you listen to the stories of these people who've been affected by this scandal six seven months is an extraordinary amount of time invaluable time if you bear in mind this scandal has been going on and running on for decades now with no resolution it just goes to show that even the people at the time, at the centre of the brand, had absolutely zero idea what their mission and their messaging was supposed to be around this. And for me, even post, again, no pun intended, even post this drama being released, there's a lot of clambering going on. There's a lot of clawing around. How do we respond to this? Because they, and we said it, it's a tale as old as time, Jackie. We've said this time and time again in episodes prior to today of the podcast. Because they don't know what the mission was supposed to be to begin with, because they didn't have a sure, tight understanding of what their brand is, the response has been very, very messy, very, very inconsistent. Even now, even immediately post this drama, the government have had to get involved and pass special legislation. It's just very, very muddy because, as you rightly point out, no one, even at the heart of the organization, really understood what the what brand they were supposed was to be about. Doing and what the brand was about. It's extraordinary. And so this, this to me, and, and we're seeing seeing all of this, this bland statements coming out of the post office. The post office was really sorry about everything that went wrong in the past, and we're doing everything we can to help the government rectify the situation. So, this bland platitudes that are coming out from the post office are just, it just makes my blood boil that they're not coming out with positive actions and positive change because they've had enough time to come up with this normally i say to 
to organizations that are in a crisis, take your time. Tell people, the people who need to know what they need to know, and that's usually we're looking into it, we're investigating it, whatever. Never speculate. Never say anything that you can't back up. Never go deviate from fact. Never make a knee-jerk reaction. Never say things off the record because off the record doesn't count in these situations. But make a plan and stick to it. Mm. The post office has known about this. They've been kicking this can down the road for a long time. This has been a tsunami that's been building and building in the oceans of time mm. and has literally just crashed over them. Mm. Now they're like, oh, we're surprised. And that's bollocks, basically. Mm. The radar and the, the early warning system has been talking about this for years. Mm -hmm. And if anything, Paula Venels, as a CEO should have been dealing with this and at least preparing everybody for this to make sure that when the tsunami hit, that everything was ready to handle it. Because she she might argue that she's just picking up the doo-doos from a previous CEO or from a previous installation of the IT system. She could battle off all of the, the blame off onto them. But the bottom line was that she was the CEO she knew that this was coming. She should have dealt with it, but at least at the very least, she should have known what to do should this all start coming as the tsunami. What they need to do now, and this was this is the thing that I've been mulling about. What would I do if I was the director of communications in the post office today? What would I be doing? Mm. And the first thing I would be doing is making sure that I was contacting all of my employees and my past employees, I'd be working on some internal communications very fast. Straight away. I think that for me, would be something. Now, the thing is, you the, the, the lawyers would all climb in now and say, you can't do anything, you can't say anything, you can't promise anything, you're setting precedent if you speak to one person about one thing. And there are ways of doing the right thing. Mm in the right way and unfortunately and i'd love to get in fact we must do this we must get a crisis lawyer on the podcast absolutely talk about how pr and and communications and legals can work hand in hand in a crisis situation to be helpful rather than putting up the barriers of legalities stopping people from saying anything or doing anything for fear of being culpable at, at the end of this there is a way to do this i've seen it i've worked in it and i know i know it can be done but unfortunately a lot of people are too held back by lawyers and the legal team the legal department and that they, they stand in some kind of a weird stupor and it's only really brilliant leaders like Richard Branson who can rise above all that stuff and look at what we're doing. What's the right way to do this? What is the, How is the right way to communicate right now? And he only does that because he comes from a position of values. He has clear values. You can see it in everything he does, in all of his investments, in all of his companies. He has a clear set of values. He has a clear mission. He has clear interests. He has clear ways of doing things. And you see that dripping down through his entire organization. That's good leadership. So the first thing I would look to do if I was in communications is look to my current leadership and saying, okay, what does leadership look like here to you? Mm. What is our brand about? 
Yeah. What are we going to do to rescue this brand? How are we going? And I would bring in all the right people. I'd, you know, there are they they they're spending millions as it is on legal stuff that to to counter what's happened in the past. I'd be bringing all the right people to make sure that we had a, a squad of individuals that could work this situation out. I'd set up a war room, a crisis room, and I'd be making sure that at the first level that my employees, my existing, my current employees and my past employees knew who to talk to, knew where the communications were starting. Yeah. And you, you just open a door. You don't have to say, we promise you this, we promise you that. We say, we're working on it. Yeah. We're putting these systems in place. We're putting these processes in place. We are creating a plan. We're creating an infrastructure. We're moving forward. We're build, rebuilding. We're making positive action. But none of them, they're just a bunch of overpaid blobs who can't <laughs> be bothered to talk to the little people and think that all of this is going to wash away in, in, you know, there'll be another scandal coming down the line and, that'll take all the pressure off us you know when um i go through our videos of these when i edit and i'm just sort of looking for that kind of nugget of gold to use as a bit of marketing for our episode this week i think look no further uh, than overpaid blobs i think i think we're going to go with that we're definitely using that that's definitely going out but joking aside you're absolutely right i think there's been no clear sign of leadership and I think that's been evidenced by the fact that Ed Davies' comms team have come out and said, well, you know, there wasn't really an awful lot I could do because it wasn't really... Everybody else, everybody's blaming... Paula Venels went, you know, sort of, she sort of buried her head in the sand and then sort of, oh, I'll do the honourable thing because there's been so many signatures, people clearly feel strongly about it. Well, Paula, you could have done it earlier and also the amount of money you made off the back of being this, you know, great bastion of you know, brilliant work in inverted commas that was apparently going on behind the scenes at the post office, which has since been massively disproven by the investigations and this, you know, ITV drama that's gone out that's brought it to public attention, Alan Bates' work as a campaigner. Where do we stand now, listeners, as we bring this episode to a close? Because we could talk about this for for ages, for, for another hour or so, because there's so much to unpick here, but where do we stand? Alan Bates may well end up being knighted, deservedly. Alan Bates would probably be prepared... <laughs> want a knighthood this is the this is he the... might be prepared to accept it from what i've read based on the fact that the hypocrisy because you're absolutely right in what he said when he was offered an obe the the hypocrisy that he pointed to was as much to do with the fact that paula venels would still be a commander of the british empire while he was awarded the obe as much as it was about the fact that these things are awarded very lightly to people who've clearly done wrong in the past whereas now she's handed it back and she's no longer a member of this club recognition for his incredible work may well be more readily accepted but that's that's kind of a superficial point where we actually stand when it comes to what's going on and the end result of this scandal being brought to the public eye by this absolutely fantastic drama mr bates versus the post office on itv is sadly it still runs and runs in the next few days special legislation will in all likelihood be passed quite quickly which will allow all of the convictions to do with the horizon it scandal to be overturned and compensation will be awarded to the victims of this scandal. An issue I have with this, which lots of people I've spoken to about this also have, is that the first 94, I believe is the exact number, although don't quote me on that, 90-odd that were brought to a court, of those 94, or I believe it might even be 150-odd, 54 were not overturned, and those convictions were maintained. 94 were overturned as a result of the Horizon IT scandal, and it was acknowledged that 
there was no wrongdoing from the sub postmasters or sub postmistresses in question. They of those 94, 60 were awarded compensation reasonably quickly, but some 34, 35 still haven't been awarded that compensation. Given that these were overturned well over a year ago, the delay in receiving these payments has become a bit of an issue. Of the 60 that have received payments, some received up to £600,000, either as steady, you know, increments of money or an upfront payment. It's since been revealed, and I read somewhere, that the post office, based on their predictions and their calculations for how many would be overturned, set aside a budget for compensation that is now going to be nowhere near enough to compensate the remainder of the victims of this scandal to the same amount as the initial 60-odd that have had their money because the government are now saying we're going to pass legislation to have them all overturned. The Postal Affairs Minister has now turned around and said there are likely to be more unjust acquittals than unjust convictions because there will probably be evidence of some small amount of illegality in some of these cases. It just all speaks to a continued mess, a continued messy response by well, everyone. It is. And it's very complex because you are talking about individuals here. You know, you can't just bunch all these people's individual stories, their individual tragedies. Absolutely. Into a great big bunch of tragedy and and, and just sweep it clean with a, with a bit of legislation. All of those people who were unjustly treated for so long do deserve their time, do deserve to have their individual case heard. Unfortunately, that takes a lot of time. It's very complex. But this is what I'm saying about leadership, because even, let's say, even if some, if the fairy godmother came and just gave everybody a million pounds each, that's not enough. It's what happens afterwards. It's a bit like, you know, saying, okay, here's your money, bye. Sorry about that. Off you toddle after your 20 years of trauma. That is not enough. It's still incumbent on the leadership of the post office to come back and look after the people that they employed, the people that were contracted to them, the people that trusted them yep. with their lives, with yeah. their livelihoods. Yeah. It's incumbent still morally on the post office to think of a way through communications through opening up those doors of communication and through active, active actions, real actions, actions speak louder than words, actions speak louder than cash, actions speak louder than legislation, going and, and helping these people and showing what you can do as, as an employer that's doing it right now for a start. And if they did that, and if they looked after those seven, 800 people and God bless those poor people who died and, and be waiting for years and died while they were waiting to be exonerated. If they did that, then they might be able to rebuild the trust of their existing contractors and employees and the people that work for them. They might be able to rebuild the trust of their customer base because I'm not going to a post office anymore. I'm not going to be sending my 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 stuff through the Royal Mail. No way, Jose. No. I'll be using I'll even be using every, which is dreadful bad service. Every who take photos of your package in a safe space and it's like being flown over your flat by a drone instead <laughs> of actually being through your post box. First type of courier known to man rather than put my money in their pocket until I see them doing good. Mm. 
that's what they need to think about beyond all of the complexity. I mean, now it has been elevated. Now things are being done and it will be complex and everything else. But let's just get back to basics. Let's talk about pure communication because everybody thinks about PR in terms of broadcasting your message out to the world when really the people that work for you are your foot soldiers. They're your biggest PR. Mm. They're your biggest publicists. They're your biggest ambassadors. So you treat them well. And if you've done wrong by them, bloody well do right. That's the message. You know what? I think you've trumped overpaid blobs. I think that's our that's our marketing video. We, we've got two. We've got we've got choices. You're absolutely right. But again, like joking aside, brilliantly put. Yeah, I cannot agree with you more. And you're absolutely spot on as ever. By the way, listeners, before I bring this episode to a close and give you some T's and C's, thank you so much for listening once again. Ruminate on this. Fujitsu's horizon still being used in post offices. No. Ruminate on that. The software, which is now described by its creators as robust, is still being used in the very institutions, the very buildings that cause so much pain, cause people to lose their jobs, cause people to lose their livelihoods, lose time in their lives, people to get so unwell, both mentally to the point where they took their own lives or physically to the point where they're too unwell now to even represent themselves now that they're seeing the light at the end of the tunnel when it comes to this incredible scandal. That very same software that caused all this pain is in one iteration or another still being used in these post offices. You really couldn't write it. It's extraordinary. I wish I could write drama like this. The brilliant people behind Mr. Bates versus the post office wrote a fantastic drama and it is doing incredible work and having an incredible impact. I'm very grateful for that. If you haven't seen it, go and watch it. The performances are incredible. As Jackie quite rightly points out, the writing is beautiful. Go and check it out. It is a really, it's, you know, it's an urgent watch. It's absolutely fantastic, especially given all the coverage being given. ITX is the platform. Correct. You're out of the country. It's an ITV. X production. ITVX, absolutely right. ITVX, and we will link the ITVX link in our episode description. Speaking of X, a few T's and C's listeners. I'm a segue machine today. A few T's and C's. If you'd like to get in touch with the podcast, either to come on as a guest or because you have a topic you'd like Jackie or myself and another guest to discuss, you can do so by getting in touch with us. Info at the rest is PR.com and info at demozo.com will respond to both email addresses. And you can head to both websites as well. The rest is PR.com for all things the podcast. And demozo.com for all things brilliant going on at demozo. I said, speaking of X, you can follow us on X at demozo, follow demozo, follow the demozo agency on X, but you can also follow at the recipe R, capital T, capital R, capital I, capital PR. And you can also contact Jackie or myself via LinkedIn. Jackie Bores, Lyle Fulton will always respond to messages on that platform as well. Jackie, same time next week, what do you reckon? Yeah, definitely, Lyle brilliant stuff cannot wait for that one and before i let you go listeners and viewers on our youtube channel thank you so much for joining us once again for the latest episode of the rest is pr we're going to do these mentions now as well keep an eye out for our spin-off podcast the rest is alcohol available on all major streaming platforms as well there'll be lots more coming from that brilliant podcast as well but for the time being from jackie and myself take care of yourselves it's bye for now